I am. I got so involved in the worship, I forgot to put my mic on. <laughs> so it was in my office. So I was, I was seeing it, yeah. So I was like, oh, no, I don't have my mic. Because usually I go down and I, you know, I, I do the little cool, you know, turn it on. Yeah. So, yeah. So sorry about that. Sorry about the delay in the program. Yeah. But I hope everybody's doing, doing good. Doing good. Yeah. Isn't it nice to wake up to some crispness in the morning? A little crisp stuff, and then it's 80 degrees. And if you have a Jeep or a convertible or just windows that go down in your car, it's really nice in the evening just to let that flow through. Some of you think I'm crazy. I can see. I, I like it, though. I like the top back and letting the wind go in my hair. <laughs> yeah. So good. Um, how many of you have an Apple Watch? How many of you have an Apple Watch? Yeah, good. Did you know that on your Apple Watch is a compass? Yeah, there's a compass. Maybe some of you didn't know that, but the new update, they put a compass in there, and it's a legitimate compass. So you turn, and it turns where, of course, you know, I'm directionally challenged, so it could be fooling me, but it turn, you turn, and it turns north or whatever, and, and it's just really a, a cool little thing. Um, that got me thinking, uh, have you ever wondered like what it was like when the compass was first invented. Like somebody came up with a compass and for the very first time, a person that's sailing on the seas was like, yeah, we got this thing called a compass and they had it in their hand. It was pointing north and it helped guide them to the place that they needed to go. Because up until that point, they would look at the stars and they would look at different things. But when you're in the ocean and you can't see land and... You know, all you have is the stars, and then during the day, what do you do? You have the sun and what time is it, it is and all that kind of stuff. Well, the compass helped with that, and it revolutionized, revolutionized. Did I say that right? Revolutionized? Yeah, I said that right. Um, navigation and ships and stuff. So it was, it was really, really impactive. And then the people that would just walk on land or travel on land to go places, if you're trying to go north. I mean, you could go north. You had your compass, and you could go, go north. It, it really helped people travel in the day that it, it came out. So it would be like, I'm assuming, this is an assumption, um, that it, it would be like the telephone or, or like the computer. Some of us remember when the first computer came out. Some of us remember when the first iPhone came out because the first iPhone was really the first smartphone, right? And then everybody else kind of bounced off of that. So we have all these things, and we're like, wow, that, how was life, what was life like without that? And so here is this compass that, that these people have. Um, I don't know if you know this or not, but north, where the compass points, changes over a period of time. In other words, the compass doesn't just point, it doesn't really point toward the north pole. Actually, the magnetic North Pole has been moving for quite some time. Did you know that? So 100 years ago, North isn't the same as it is today. I'll show you a map. Yeah, 1831, the little dot at the bottom is where magnetic North was. And now, in 2019, you, well, it's not 2019, but in 2019, you see where it was, and you see how the magnetic North has moved. So over time, people with compasses have had to adjust 
what they were doing based on, based on where magnetic north was. So magnetic north actually moves. And it's a fascinating read. haven't really dove into it a lot, but I've read a little bit about it. And it's really fascinating how that actually works, right? So magnetic north is not the same. In life, we've often heard that there's a moral compass that you have that you, you should guide you places, right? And so we talk about this moral conscience, this moral compass that is attached to our conscience. And so we let the compass be our guide to what is right and wrong. The problem with that is when it comes to a compass, true north changes over a period of time. And I'm afraid that Christians have adopted this concept of a moral compass and they have laid down or placed down, laid down the word of God in their life and they put that to the side and they picked up this moral compass that is attached to the world system that has nothing to do with God's word. See, you and I do not need a moral compass. We have the word of God. You and I do not need a moral compass. We have the Holy Spirit inside of us. We know what is right. We know what is wrong because of what the word of God says. We do not need a moral compass to guide us. But many people pick up this moral compass to guide them and and their conscience. And what they're actually doing is in 1831, what was right was right here. But now in 2022, where Magnetic North is has changed. And it's a pretty good distance between there and here. So what was right in 1831 and what was wrong in 1831, these people live by. But over here in 2022, they're saying, well, that was really stupid. Those people were really homophobic and they were all this kind of stuff. And they called them all these kinds of names. They were not as evolved and as intelligent as we are today in 2022. And so we understand things better. We understand how the, how the humans work and how we work in morality and how we're trying to work with each other. And they bring in all this, quote-unquote, scientific data. Scientific data, right? That says that this stuff, the stuff back then, it was ridiculous that they thought that was right and wrong because actually we should be living this way. And so things have shifted in culture because when people look at a moral compass that is attached to their conscience and they let that be their guide, it is always going to change. Always going to change. You see, your conscience is affected by your environment, where you're at. You're impacted by that. Your conscience is. What your friends say is right and wrong impacts you. What the world says is right and wrong impacts you. And the world is very good at this. In fact, They can shame you into thinking something that is wrong is actually right. And the way that they do it is if you say something is is wrong and they think it's right, they call you names. And and it's names that you don't want to be called. I'm not going to list those names here because I'm just not going to do that. But they call you those names and you think in your mind, well, I don't want to be that way. I want to be seen this way. 
And so instead of being people of integrity, what happens is Christians pick up the more, put down the word of God, pick up the moral compass of the world, and they change because they want to be seen on the outside in a certain way rather than be revolutionary on the inside. Is everybody tracking? Yeah. So it's this moral compass thing. You and I should never pick up a moral compass. We have the word of God that doesn't change location. We have a Holy Spirit inside of us that tells us what the word of God says and tells us how to live. We don't need to be confused about all of that. So with that in mind, I want you to turn your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And we'll begin reading with verse 1. <clears throat> and this is what it says. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. So he's saying you've received instruction from the word of God, we have given you that, and you are living that, but what we want you to do is continue to grow in that and do those right things more and more and more and more, okay? Verse two, for you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where our instructions came from, not for a morality of the world, but a morality from God. And verse three, for this is the will of God for your sanctification, now, that particular word sanctification there really should be translated holiness. Now, other places in Scripture, it talks about the process of sanctification and you becoming more holy and holy, more transformed into the image of Christ. There are other passages of Scripture that talk about that. This particular one is not one of those. So it should read, this is the will of God, your holiness. See, everybody that's a Christian, the will of God for you is simply, you are supposed to be holy. We are supposed to live holy lives. That is God's will for us. We're not supposed to be unholy. In fact, God is so dedicated to this particular concept that he sent his son to die on the cross to shed his blood, to give you forgiveness for your sins, and he arose the third day so that you can live a holy life in front of people in the world that haven't received him, so that you could live for him, so that you could live a holy life. You and I are required to live in the position of holiness. You see, when you are saved, when you receive Jesus as your Savior, you are pronounced by God the Father as being righteous. You are righteous, you are holy, you are set apart, you are my child, and those are positional things. I am holy today because of the blood of Jesus Christ. I am righteous today because of the blood of Jesus Christ, and God the Father has pronounced me that way. And so it's the will of God the Father for me to live a holy life. Now Paul's going to talk about this holiness in these verses that we're going to cover today, and he's going to do it in the form of relationships. See, oftentimes I, and I think you too, it, maybe some of you, think of holiness as some type of cloudish sort of thing, right? Like we pray, we, we read the Bible, we get alone, 
we do things and it's kind of just all this up in the clouds sort of holiness thing. But in scripture, holiness is a very down-to-earth, where the rubber meets the road sort of way to live. And so Paul is going to talk to us about that rubber hitting the road, way to live type of holiness, and he's going to do it in our relationships. And he's going to start with the relationship between a husband and a wife. And then he's going to talk about the relationship between brothers and sisters in Christ and how they should interact with each other. And then he's going to talk about how Christians are supposed to relate to people in the world. He's going to talk about how you live holiness in that particular regard. And he's very serious about this. It's where the rubber meets the road. Not a lofty concept, but something that you and I can live. And so he starts with the marriage relationship. So in verse 3, it says... For this is the will of God, your holiness, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in the manner, because the Lord is an avenger of all these things as we told you beforehand and solemnly warn you. For God has not called us for impurity, but holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. So the first step of holiness, the groundbreaking step of holiness, the foundation of holiness is the marriage relationship. This passage talks about control, that you control, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, that you know how to control your body. That's different than what the world tells us. The world tells us that we're supposed to respond to our desires in that particular area, that we respond to it and, and we can't do anything about it. We can't really control it. And so we just follow those desires and the desires actually then become what control us. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of believers that think, think the same way in a certain, a certain way. They allow their desires to control them rather than taking control of their desires. And God says holiness is you taking control of that desire to be with the person of the opposite sex. You take control of that. That is holiness. You take, take control of it. And the way you take control of it is you take all of those desires and you place it within the box of marriage. And marriage alone. Marriage is the foundational relationship to holiness for humankind. You see, from creation, God created man and woman to desire each other. The woman to desire the man, the man to desire the woman, and for that to be something that really is a driving force in our society. That that um, inclination, that desire, that, that attraction, if you will. God has designed it that way, and it's a beautiful thing. But God doesn't want you to be controlled by your desires. He doesn't want you to be controlled by your attraction. He wants you to take control of those things. He wants you to grab a hold of them and say, hey, 
God says that holiness is within marriage, and that is where I'm going to focus my desire. That is where I'm going to focus my attraction to whoever I am married to and no one else. See, if you don't, those desires take you places that you shouldn't go, and they cause damage. Christians often get very upset when way over here people Men are marrying men, and I think that we should get upset about that. I think that is something to be upset about. We get upset when women marry women. I mean, that is absolutely wrong. And so their line for being upset at something like this is over here. But God says that it's okay to be upset about that, but what about you personally? Are you upset at yourself when you go outside of the bonds of marriage when it comes to desire and attraction? Do you get upset? Do you get upset at yourself as much as you get upset as the people who are doing things that are an abomination according to Scripture? Because, ladies and gentlemen, this box is where the line is at. And anywhere between this box and whatever else happens is wrong and is a sin. This is a very comfortable subject, isn't it? Right? Very comfortable subject. No, it is not a very comfortable subject. It is all within this box. And here's what it takes. Control takes me and you being loyal to the person that we have married. Loyalty. I am loyal to Nicole Brand. That's who I'm loyal to. So my desires and my attractions are just focused on her. And if there's a pull in any direction outside of that box, you get control and you say, hey, I made a vow between God and my parents and the church. I don't care about the government. Because when it comes to this, are, are you tracking? My loyalty is between me and him. And the church, and so I'm staying loyal to my wife. And so I'm loyal and I'm faithful. That also means that I have to cherish her. And there's sometimes it's very difficult to cherish her because she is hard headed, so hard headed, and I'm not. I am not hard-headed. She is the one in the relationship that is hard-headed. I am like Winnie the Pooh, right? And she is just so hard-headed, and I'm just so cuddly and nice and loving. I mean, it is just so hard to cherish her, but she should always cherish me because I'm a Winnie the Pooh. You know that this is all a lie, right? Right? But there is difficult times where it is hard to cherish your spouse, but you have to be loyal enough and committed to your commitment to God to do it, to get there. You cherish them. And when you're loyal and when you're faithful and when you cherish, that is the moment that you are living a holy life. It is the foundation for holiness. It's the foundation for holiness. Cherish each other. Hold each other. It's total commitment to each other. That's what it is. So much damage happens when we step outside of that box. 
So much damage happens. I also want to tell you this. When you are loyal with your desires and your attraction and you keep it within the box, there is a different type of love that occurs. I can't explain it to you. I, I cannot put it into words. I can explain that this over here is, is lustful and sinful, and I can explain what that is. I can give you a description of all that. I can give you that. But when it's inside, it is a very indescribable sort of love that happens and a connection that you have with your spouse that is really divine. It's a divine connection. And the reason that it's a divine connection and a different type of love is because it is connected directly to his holiness and the position that he's placed you in as a result of you receiving the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. And so you stay loyal. It's very difficult to stay loyal. Can we just be honest about that? I know you're looking at me like, no, Philip, what are you, don't say that. Don't, please don't say that. Don't say that. Look, if we are honest, it's difficult in this environment to stay loyal. I'm not giving excuses. I'm just saying it's, it's for real. You go down Interstate I-40, and there are billboards that should not be up there. Women on those billboards, like, what in the world? And see, you look at it one time. The sin is when you look at it the second time. We have TV commercials that push this desire stuff so that you will buy a product. It is, it is very difficult. You have to be on your guard at all times, and you have to be serious about being loyal. You have to be serious about being loyal. You have to be serious about being faithful. You have to be serious about cherishing, and you have to be serious about focusing on what God wants you to focus on because the world is constantly trying to get your attention in this arena. And because this is a driving force in a human life and in all our existence, they know how to pervert it at every single turn. They know how to do it. They just know how to do it. And they know how to get you in. But you, to be holy, to be a part of God's will, is to stay within the box. Stay within the box. Now, before I go on, I have a little video and this couple has been married 82 years. 82 years. And I just want you to watch it. Mr. D.W., Miss Willie, how y'all doing? Fine, how are you? You 103 years old? Yeah. And you 100. Yes, sir. You got to be the prettiest 100-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> They've been married 82 years. So now, Miss Willie, you said that the secret to a happy marriage uh -huh. is being nice to each other. Yeah. yeah. Any other advice you have? Just sit down and talk things over. Talk things over? Oh, yeah, and get a good understanding of what you're doing and where you're going. Uh, let me ask you something. Uh-huh. It's a lady up here uh -huh. that's been engaged. Uh -huh. She's been with her boyfriend 11 years. Yeah. Uh -huh. They've been engaged for five years. Yeah. He want to get married. Uh-huh. She don't want to get married because she think they ain't got enough money to have the big wedding she wants. Uh-huh. Uh -huh. Big wedding? Yeah, big wedding, Mr. D.W. Well, now, why you want to bring us into that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
You don't need to have no big whip. Just go and get married. Don't need to have no just go and get married. <laughs> now, why do you want to bring us into that? That's wisdom right there. That, that's wisdom right there. Listen, a couple of things, okay? And we're going to move on. But it'll probably be five minutes, but it'll probably seem like an hour, okay? First of all, anything outside of this is wrong. You don't need to pick up a moral compass. You don't need to feel good or feel bad about it. Any, anything outside of the marriage box is wrong. I know <clears throat> that there are people, because I've been at this a long time, there are people that unfortunately have gotten a divorce, and some of them have gotten a divorce for a very good reason. There are reasons in the Bible why, why you should get a divorce. There are reasons. Um, and those people oftentimes are very scared to pull the trigger to get married again. When God has placed somebody in front of them that is absolutely incredible and loves them dearly. If you're that person today and you're just trying to figure out if, if you need to get married, not get married, and you're kind of scared because of what happened in your past and the hurt is still, trying to, is still preventing you from making that commitment, I'm here to tell you today, you need to just make the commitment if God has placed a gift in front of you to take a hold of. Right? You desire them anyway. You're thinking about them anyway. Get married and be loyal and be faithful and cherish. 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 Even when they make you mad. Right? You cherish them. You cherish them. Get married. For those of you in the room that have marriages and currently... <clears throat> The wife is off doing something over here, and the man's off doing something over here, and you hardly ever get together. Like, you, you don't even eat together. You don't go out to eat. You don't get together. You don't spend time with each other. The only thing you really talk about is what the kids are doing wrong, the stuff that's happening wrong at school, the bills that need to be paid, and all this other stuff that is so serious. What you need to do is stop all of that for just a moment and enjoy each other. Your problems with the school system and your children will still be there tomorrow. And your marriage needs to be healthy enough to meet those challenges. And in order for your marriage to be healthy enough to meet those challenges, you have to stop all the heavy stuff for just a moment and be light and laugh and enjoy each other. You talk, you enjoy each other. See, desire and attraction is not just about intimacy. Desire and attraction is wanting to be with that person, wanting to go somewhere with that person, wanting to do things with that individual and be a couple and be loyal together. That is what happens when you focus on each other and you cherish each other. You have to stop sometimes just to have fun. Sometimes you just have to go to the beach. Sometimes you just have to go to the mountains. Sometimes you just have to ride your bike with your spouse. Sometimes you just have to do something fun. So you do that. If you're running in different directions, you're setting yourself up to cherish something else besides your spouse. 
if your time is spent, most of your time is spent, all of your time is spent on cherishing your children and not cherishing your spouse, you have an issue. You need to back off a little bit with the children. I know the women in the room are like, oh my God, how can I do that? You need to do this. Your husband is the reason, the number one reason in the world that you have those children. You focus on him and not just them. You cherish your children, you cherish your wife. That makes a healthy family. You cherish your children, you cherish your husband. That makes a healthy family. And if you and I really want to be holy in this world, and we really want to respond to the call of God to be holy, our first stop is our marriages. And before you get upset at all the junk that's happening in the world with marriages, and all the lustful things that are happening over here, and all the stuff that people are giving, before you get upset with all that stuff, you need to make sure that you are loyal, and you are cherishing, and you are faithful, and you are doing it right in your own home. Do not point your finger at someone over there when you are living in the space right here that you should never have stepped into. Holiness. But Philip, it's so specific. Yes, that's the point. Holiness is that specific. So, verse 9. Says this, now concerning brotherly love, now turn to your neighbor and say, I am so thankful we're in verse 9. <laughs> yeah, so thankful. Now concerning brotherly love, <clears throat> you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourself have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing all, to all the brothers throughout Macedonia, but we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. Now, concerning brotherly love. So this is love between myself and the family of God. Do you know that you do not get to pick who is in your family? You don't. You don't get to pick who's in your natural family, and you do not get to pick who is in your spiritual family either. There's another choice process that happens as a result of that, right? Somebody else does the choosing. Right? So you don't get to choose that. You and I both know that within our natural families, there are crazy people. There are crazy people, and when they come in, we're just not sure about them. Now, if you're sitting in this room and you're thinking, I can't really think of any crazy person, you are it. You're the crazy person. If you have not figured out who the crazy person is in your family, you're the one that everybody knows that you're a little loopy. Okay? That is you. So there's, there's somebody crazy. And so, so your family, you do not get to pick them, but you're supposed to love them anyway, right? They come in to the family gatherings, you love them. You might not want to sit at their table. You might want to be on the other side of the room, but you still love them. And you should be willing to do anything for them that they need. Like if they fell into a hard time, you would give them food, you would give them help, you would come over and help them clean up whatever you wanted to do, whatever you needed to do because you love them. And the family of God is the same way. 
It's brotherly love. I think it's interesting that when the Bible talks about you and I loving each other, it's always with this Philadelphia sort of love. It's not agape, which is God's love to us that's unconditional. It is this agape love, this brotherly love that we're supposed to have between each other. This means that if you have a problem with me or I have a problem with you and I found out that what I did towards you was incorrect and I say I'm sorry, you are supposed to forgive me. And if you come up to me and say, I'm sorry, Philip, for what I did against you, what I said against you, what, what I didn't do or whatever, I am supposed to forgive you as well. I'm supposed to forgive you. And that relationship, that brotherly love relationship is supposed to continue. I am not supposed to, in my mind, hate you in any shape, fashion, or form. I am in no way supposed to push you out of my life. I might put boundaries up for some people because that is healthy sometimes, right? For boundaries to happen. But those boundaries are in place so that I can continue to have a relationship with you and you can continue to have a relationship with me. Are you tracking? Because there's some people in the family that you can love at a distance. Thank you. Thank you. Don't leave me hanging. There's some people in the family that you love at a distance, but you can't, you can't get them any closer because then there's conflict and you just don't need to go through that. So the safe distance where you can operate in life is the same way in the family of God. There's often boundaries. There's some people that you shouldn't really be around, but you love them in Christ. And, listen up, if something happens, you pray for them and you help them any way that you can. That is brotherly love. Earlier in our service, in the, in the 930 service, um, Joshua Lamb um, had an episode in our um, service. And he went out into to the, um, to the foyer and they took care of him. Well, there are people in the church that probably doesn't even know who Joshua Lamb is. You might be one of them. Who in the world is Joshua Lamb? And you might know them. But here's what I know. Regardless if you know him or not, we pray for him today because he is now going to the doctor to try to figure out why what happened happened. And we, we need to pray for him and his mom and dad so that that situation is taken care of. Are you tracking? Because we care. You don't have to know them, know them in order to care, in order to have brotherly love. We are supposed to have brotherly love toward each other. That is the next step in holiness. You see, sometimes in churches... There's a conflict, people get upset at each other, and they take sides, and before too long, they're really angry at each other, and it's almost like they hate each other. That is not brotherly love. That is not holiness. And by the way, nothing holy ever comes out of that. I was in a church one time where there was no less than seven different groups of people that were fighting each other. So you had this group fighting this group and this group and this group and this one fighting this group and this group and this group, and it was just... It was, it was something. It was something. And it was hard to bring people back to the same place and to the same common ground. To get them to see past all the stuff that they were holding against their brothers and sisters in Christ. The common ground is this. If you have nothing else, you have the cross. If you have nothing else, you have the gospel. If you have nothing else, you have Jesus. 
And that is the common ground that every believer can come in and stand on and then work out their issues from that point of view. But you say, Philip, it's not that simple. Oh, yes, it is. I'm not saying it's not hard to work them out, but it is that simple. If you really understand that your common ground is the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did for you there, you then understand that you receive mercy and grace that you didn't deserve, and therefore you should give your brothers and sisters in Christ mercy and grace that they do not deserve. And through that loving lens is how you can start working out the conflicts that you have with them, and you can start loving them as a brother and sister in Christ. See, I don't agree with everything that my sister does. Don't agree with everything she does. And you know something else? My sister doesn't agree with everything that I do. She just doesn't. But I still love my sister. And she still loves me. And if you mess with me, she will probably come and have a couple of words with you. I mean, she is that loyal, right? And so to each other, we might not agree with everything that we're doing. But some things you just need to let go of. People are who they are. It's how they have been designed to be. And I'm not talking about sin. I'm just talking about personalities. And sometimes the best thing to say is, wow, you know Bob, and we all know what that means. We love him, but we all know Bob, right? He's our brother in Christ, but we all know him. Well, you know Philip. I don't mind if you do that because I'm a little quirky. I'm more like Winnie the Pooh, of course, but I'm, I'm, a, little, I'm a little quirky, right? I need to get more weight, I guess, with, with all that. So we love each other. So marriage, first step of holiness. And then the next step is our care for each other in Christ. Um, brothers and sisters fight each other, but they love each other in that, right? Right? Yeah, at the end of the day, they really love each other, though they disagree, and that's what we should be doing. So we continue, okay? So we have marriage and we have brotherly love between each other. And then this is what we have in verse um, 11. It says, and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and to be dependent on no one. So and aspire to live quietly. What does that mean? Live quietly. This is what that means. It means you and I, as a Christian, should not go out there and pick fights. A lot of people like to pick fights. Listen, the number one reason why you shouldn't pick fights is this. You're already going to have to fight anyway. If you live holy and you live rightly and you live by the word of God, the fight is coming to you. Don't go out and look for it. Live quietly. Let it come when it comes, and then you stand for it, but don't go out and pick fights. You know, Facebook is the place where most people pick fights, like with me. Um, I used to, back in 2020, and we all know what was happening back then, I used to post, post scripture that would tell people, don't give in to fear, give in to faith, be faithful. Now I'd post scriptures. I had this one guy that every time I posted something like that, he would tell me I was political, and he would go into this rant and why we should be concerned and fearing and all this kind of stuff. And I kept deleting his post. I would message him and tell him why, but I kept deleting his post. Because 
oh my goodness, why are you on Facebook trying to pick a fight? What a wimpy way to try to prove your point. I'm behind the keyboard. I don't have to look at them. You know, okay. You're a wimp. Okay, that's fine. But you don't, you don't do that. You don't go out and you pick a fight on Facebook, on social media, with other people. Like in your work that might not be living correctly, you don't go out and, and pick a fight with them. You are quietly living for God. And when the fight comes to you, you stand. And you stand firm. We're not wimps. We stand firm. But we don't go out looking for the fight. We are not really supposed to be on offense. We're defensive. And we stand for what is right and wrong when the fight comes to us. So, we're, so live quietly. Don't go out and try to pick fights. And it says to mind your own affairs and to work with your own hands. Now those two go together. Mind your own affairs and work with your own, own hands. Now minding your own affairs is you in your house making sure that there's food on the table, the electric bill is paid, all your bills are paid, you're minding your affairs. And to mind your affairs, you have a job because it takes a certain amount of money to support the house that you live in and to put food on your table. So you mind your own affairs. This is saying that you should not be dependent on someone else to handle the affairs of your home. You should be handling those affairs. This does not mean that there might be times where you need some help. Like you're a worker, you're out there working, but at the end of the day, something, an emergency has happened. You cannot handle that emergency with the amount of money that you have. You really need some assistance. And so some of your friends help you out with that. And they help you get that particular thing fixed or they bring you food or whatever they do. It doesn't mean that you don't accept help. What it does mean, however, is that as you're accepting that help, you are going to make sure that you do not become dependent upon that help because you are minding your own affairs. You are working with your hands. You are doing this because to be holy, you are supposed to be working and not dependent upon other people giving you stuff so that you can exist. Now, if you don't think that Paul is talking about this, it's okay. You're wrong. And to show you that, he addresses this a little more um, focused in the next book that he writes to the Thessalonians. And in 2 Thessalonians, it says this, For even when we were with you, we would give you this command, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Oh. In 2022, this is how our culture feels about that. But they're people. Don't we care? They're people. But they're not working. But they're people. Like, it's, it's like that, right? In 1831, it's, yeah, if they don't work, they don't eat. I might give them a little bit, but they need to get right on it, right? As if I lived in, as if I lived in 1831, but you get the point, Right? They, they need to work. They, if they don't work, they don't eat. Remember here in 2020, oh, it's, 
Oh, it's just so bad. That scripture should be rewritten. Isn't God a God of love? He is. And what's best for you is for you to work and take care of yourself. That's what's best for you. That's what's best for you. It's when you fulfill what God has created you to be and you take responsibility for what you have and you mind your own affairs. You work with your hands. It says, let him not eat. See, if you're with the compass, the world's compass, you're now over here thinking, but that, but we really need to help them and they can't really get a job. And Okay, all right. We're done with that. You mind your own affairs. Listen, I know there is exceptions, okay? I know there's exceptions. I know there's people that have been hurt physically, that can't work. I, I realize that. But I also know that there's a lot of people that can work, that get that disability. Are, are you tracking? And it is just not right. Because that disability is for people that really cannot work. And so they take advantage of the system. And if you're taking advantage of the system, you are not living a holy life. It's not living a holy life. It's not living a holy life. I believe in helping people, but at the same time, you work. So you work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. So holiness just to review, holiness starts with being loyal in your marriage. And then holiness extends beyond that to us being loving to each other and loyal to our other brothers and sisters in Christ. And then beyond that, we take care of our own affairs because the world doesn't need to look at Christians and say those worthless people that are always dependent upon us. They don't need to say that. The world needs to see us as self-sufficient and seeing how God really supplies the needs that we have because he's promised to do so. That's what the world needs to see. Um, <clears throat> a couple weeks ago, I was meeting um, the pastor from Village Church over at Welcome Baptist Church, the one that we're trying to revitalize. And they are thinking about jumping on board with the team that we're putting together of churches to help that happen. And they are going to do it, by the way. They're going to do it. So I went to Welcome Baptist Church and I went there, and my GPS on my phone took me a different way to get back to Farmington Baptist Church. And so when I was driving and following the GPS with Seth in the car, I came across a bridge that came across I-77, and to be honest, I really wasn't sure how I got there because I'm directionally challenged, okay? And so when we hit that I-77, I felt like I should turn right, but my GPS was telling me to turn left. And inside of me, if you're directionally challenged, I was just, it's like an emotional, like I, I'm really kind of thrown off because I thought I was going this way, but now I'm going in a total different direction. And I'm really trying to, trying to get to where my feelings are matching up with what I'm seeing right here. And so we're heading to the bridge and I look at Seth and I said, Seth, are we really supposed to turn left? Because I really feel like we're supposed to turn right. And Seth said, no, you're supposed to turn left. The church is that way. That's how we get to the church. And I was like, okay, okay. Well, I took the left-hand turn 
And to be honest, I felt like I was doing the wrong thing the entire time. I went down the ramp, felt it was wrong. I even saw I-40 sign that pointed toward Winston-Salem. You know how it's written on there? It says Winston-Salem, and it points in that particular direction. And I still felt like I was going the wrong way. I still felt like that because inside of me, my feelings were just so jumbled up. Ladies and gentlemen, listen. I had to, in that moment, take control of my feelings and trust my GPS and trust Seth. And then when I got on I-77, I had to take control of my feelings and trust the sign that was pointing me in the direction of Winston-Salem, North Carolina. In life, when you feel like what you are doing, according to the word of God, isn't the right thing to do. And inside, you are just emotionally in turmoil. Like you just don't feel like it's the right thing. I'm telling you, do it anyway. Listen to the scriptures, listen to the voice of God, and do what he's telling you to do, even though it feels wrong while you are doing it. Take control of your emotions and follow God, even when your emotions are telling you to go the other way. Amen? That is what you do. That's what you do. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the stage you've given us. And I don't know who's watching. <laughs> you do. I've seen the people in the room, but I really don't know what they're struggling with. But you do. So I'm going to start with this. Father, if there's anybody in this room that's struggling with being holy in their marriage, I pray, Father, that this is the day that they confess that to you. They ask forgiveness for their sins and they start taking steps to be loyal to their spouse, that they start taking steps to be faithful and cherishing their spouse. Do not let Satan let them think that they are finished, that they are washed up, that there's no way they can get back to that. Please let them know through the power of your Holy Spirit that your son's blood covers that sin. All they have to do is ask forgiveness for it and make the commitment and the change to be faithful and loyal in their marriage relationship. There may be people in this room that understand the fear that I was talking about. I don't know. Watching online that may understand the fear I'm talking about, about not getting married because of the horrible experience they had before. I pray that today, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you give them freedom from that that you cut the chains that Satan has on their heart and the fear that is there, and you set them free. I pray that from their past experience that you infuse them with wisdom so when they make the next choice, they make the correct one, and that wisdom just guides their life. But I pray that they'll be able to just disconnect from that fear and hold on to what they've learned. And if they found somebody go for it because that is your will that is what you want for them Father I pray for anybody in this room that is holding strife against another brother or sister in Christ and 
they just haven't been able to let go of it. I pray right now that they ask forgiveness for that, that you give them the power to let go of that animosity they have toward another brother, sister in Christ so that they can extend brotherly love to them. So give them that freedom. I pray that you help us love each other more and more and more. We will extend brotherly love to each other and we will pray for each other when crisis happens and that we'll also rejoice with each other when good things happen. So help us do that. And Father, I pray that you will continue to supply all our needs. And if there's anybody in this room that just isn't working and that is lazy and they feel convicted today, I pray that they will ask forgiveness for that. And this afternoon, they will start taking control of their affairs and working with their hands and trying to get that job that they need to supply their needs, to take care of themselves as best as they can. I pray for the rest of us that you help us know the difference between what we want and what we need. That when we're minding our affairs, that we're spending money appropriately, not going in debt for things that we shouldn't go in debt for, but living financially secure, not indebted to other people or institutions, but financially secure in the best way we possibly can. So help us with that. Father, we want to be holy in this world for you, to shine for you, so other people come to know you as their personal Savior, so their marriages will change and their interactions with other people will change and so that their work ethic will change. So we leave all this at the foot of the cross and in Jesus' name we pray, amen. The altar is open for you if you need it. I'm here to pray for you if you need that. So let's stand and sing this closing invitation.
One thing that I forgot to say was to everybody that isn't married, you need to remain holy now and loyal to the person that you're going to marry. I tell my son to be loyal to the wife he's going to marry by guarding his eyes and guarding his desires. I tell my, uh, my uh, daughter to do the same, the man that she's going to marry, guard her eyes because she needs to be loyal now and he needs to be loyal now to the one that they will marry. And you can mess up before, right? So you stay committed to that. So I, I thought that was important enough to stop and say. That said, grace and peace. We'll see you next week. Declare